Okay, I'd, love, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our study. Matthew, how to build a life that lasts forever. If you'll look with me at that passage, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 29. <clears throat> as you're turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, I'd like to share with you about a family that moved into a new neighborhood, nice homes, nice new neighborhood, and the only thing that they brought with them was a, uh, their old dog from their old neighborhood. They hated to uh, give him up, and so they brought him with them. They were very careful about it, though. They made sure that, or tried to make sure that he did not uh, cause any inconvenience on the neighborhood and the, especially their close neighbors. And so one day as the wife uh, was going into the backyard, uh, she went back there to her horror as she saw her dog standing there with the neighborhood's pet rabbit in its mouth. It had all that dog saliva in its hair and uh, mud mixed in with it. The unfortunate thing was when she got the rabbit, the rabbit was dead. Too late. So she uh, didn't know exactly what to do. And in her panic, she being terrified, terrified because of it being the neighbor's uh, rabbit, she took it inside washed it, shampooed it, put it in the dryer to fluff up the uh, rabbit's fur. And she quickly went, snuck into the neighbor's yard and went in the back and put the rabbit back into the cage. Kind of propped it up a little bit. She snuck back to her house and as she did, she went back into the house and became busy doing things. And all of a sudden, as she was in the kitchen once again, looking out over the backyard, she heard this scream from next door. And so she ran outside. And as she looked, her neighbor was in the back. And she was just screaming and hollering. And uh, she said, what's the matter? And she came over to her, of course, to console her. And she said, the rabbit, the rabbit. And she was pointing to the dead rabbit, all fluffy and clean. The woman answered by saying, well, it's okay. All, all rabbits have to die sometime. And her neighbor, reply, her, her neighbor replied, but you don't understand. My rabbit died two days ago. And look over there. That's where we buried it. How did it get here? Rabbits die. People die. But we're all going to have to face the final day. And so we need to know how to build a life that will last forever. Because you see, the grave isn't the end for the humans. The grave isn't the end results. You don't just die and that's it. 
Many people like to think that, and a lot of people are thinking that today. But that's not the case. So how does one build a life that will last forever? Jesus uses three stories to illustrate a life that lives forever. And he uses two roads, he uses two prophets, and he uses two builders. Now let's look in verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, a life that lives forever. And few are those who find it. In the two verses, Jesus talks about two ways. The easy way and the hard way. Two gates, the broad gate and the narrow gate. Two crowds, the large crowd and the small crowd. And two destinations, life and destruction. So, as we look at this, this is a very uncomfortable teaching for today. You say uncomfortable, and I say yes, because a lot of people don't like to talk about their destinations. It's probably because that our culture no longer likes to see black and white. They are too extreme for us. And we don't like extremes, unfortunately. We like the grays, the golden medium, if you will. We like those grays that are the golden mediums that are not extremists. In other words... Those who are extremists are labeled fanatics. And they are the ones who believe in the black and the whites. We rather prefer the moderate today. Jesus has talked about the two extremes before though. Before this passage. He talked about the two treasures. The treasure on earth and the treasure in heaven. He talked about two masters. God and mammon. And then Jesus also talked about two ambitions. The kingdom of God. Consuming us. Leading us. Guiding us. Controlling us. Being a part of that. And our earthly things. Consuming us. Leading us. Controlling us. Being in, in charge of us. So here Jesus is talking about though two roads. Now, one road is translated as the easy road. In the RSV, the Greek word means open. In other words, it's a non-confining road. Now, what does that mean? Well, confine means to keep within bounds, to restrict, to border, to have limits. In other words, this road that is confining doesn't allow for everything to go as a non-confining road does. We should have boundaries to live within. Otherwise, life becomes chaotic and you're always changing it as you see today. You change it according to my rule, 
this is what I want. If you'll notice, this is going on in our society a lot today. I don't like that. That offends me. Let's change this. Well, the reason that we've gotten to that point is because we don't believe in the extremes. We don't believe in the rights and the wrongs unless they're rights and wrongs according to my way. It's all relational. A non-confinement type of life is one that says, hey, anything goes. Believe any way you want to. It's all relative. Live any way you want to. There's no real boundaries because the boundaries are always changing. No interference with your life because you are changing it so there won't be any interference with your life. And no strains. You want the easiest way out. Now we're all, we're all tempted with that. We live in this old flesh and we all want the easy way out. And this is why it's very, very important for us to realize that God's way is the only way. And we need to build our life around that. And so there are no real boundaries, no interference, no strain. It is broad. It's gentle. It's a downhill slope. When growing up in the uh, 40s and 50s, 60s, 70s, you see you, you, you were given a lot more boundaries, the right and the wrong. Now, I'm not saying that you're not given that today with some families because they are. They, they try to live by the Word of God, and, and that's good. But there was restrictions. And a lot of times as a teenager, I thought that there were too many restrictions growing up. Just like all of us that have those within our family. And I couldn't wait till I turned 18 because 18 was a magical number for some reason or another where you were set free. I had one gentleman or friend that played for Kusa and he got a scholarship to Auburn and, and uh, bless his heart, he stuck with it. He never got to play. If he did, it was very, very little. I mean little, little. He was on the bench all the time, but he had to go through the practice as though he was playing every week. And so his dad was head coach at, at Coosa High School, and so he called him up and he said, Dad, I think I'm going to come home. And he said, son, that's fine. If you want to come home, you're, you're old enough. You can make that decision. You can come home. But when you come home, your clothes will be packed and you'll have to find a place to live. You've got a scholarship down there. You can stay in school until you finish or you can come home and start working and get on your own. And so he stayed and finished out. You know, as you grow older, you, you begin to see that those rules, those boundaries, those guidelines are more appreciated because you begin to have children and you see that they, they, need to, they needed to be enforced. My son, oldest son, he would tell his class when he was teaching, he would bring us up as examples all the time, whether they're good or bad, I didn't hear them, but he said they were good and he said that a lot of times he didn't see how or why we had to do certain things as children until later when he, he had children. The wide road Jesus is describing has no boundaries, no interference. 
The road allows you to live it any old way you want to because it's always changing according to your liking or you're trying to change it according to your liking. Anything goes. But then there is a narrow road in verse 13. And in verse 13 it says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. Isn't that sad? A lot of times we think America is a Christian nation. And just about everybody here claims to be a Christian that's born here. I remember witnessing uh, on the streets and the street corners in Dallas and we would stop people in front of Neiman Marcus and hand out tracts and everything. That was when, you know, that, that went on back there when, in the Stone Ages when, uh, when I was growing up and uh, going to school. You know, you did street preaching and that type thing. And that was an exercise for school out in Dallas. And so we were there and we would hand out tracts. Somebody would be uh, chosen to preach and they'd preach and I remember, you know, giving out a track and you stop real quick at the red light and you try to very hurriedly give them a track and tell them, you know, about the Lord in some way or some fashion. And I know that's not popular today and you're going to turn people off. But I remember one comment that was given said, well, you know, of course we're Christians. There's a load of, carload of guys and they were, you know, they're having a great time and he said, man, we're born here in the USA. What else would you be? And that's, that's a mentality. We think that just because we're born or we're born into families that went to church, then we're automatically a Christian. We're on this narrow road. You see, the narrow road is hard. It's fenced and it has boundaries. It's, it's bounded by what? God's revelation. It's hard because it's not open for everybody in, in, with every religious belief and every philosophical belief. It's hard because it's closed in the sense that people don't like it and they say we're too closed-minded because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And they don't like it. They don't like the teachings that the Word of God has. And so this narrow way is not going to be always easy. Matter of fact, it'll be uncomfortable a lot of the times because we'll be going against the stream. We must discipline our lives and, and continue to travel the narrow road because, and the only way that you're going to get in on, on this narrow road is the way that God says. And that is by belief in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And it's not going to be works. It's not going to be us trying to work our way into heaven. When I say through Jesus Christ, I mean by grace through faith and that alone. That's it. We couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't work hard enough on our own to make it to heaven. Now the change of life comes and us maturing as believers come by a process afterwards. But we have eternal life. And we have all the, uh, everything that we need to become what we need to become when we receive the new capacity, which is a new nature in Jesus Christ. We just need to 
exercise and discipline. There's two crowds. We have two crowds on the road. A broad road that's very busy, it says. Very populated. In verse 14, it says, For the gate is small and the way is narrow and leads to life, and few are on that one. But the, way, the one that uh, leads to destruction, many are on it, it says. And so the broad road is, is very busy, very populated, crowded with people. The road implies the acceptance by the majority of people. The narrow road is, is always deserted or very few are on it compared to the broad road. And it's not as fashionable as a broad road. Those on this road will be despised by the majority. When traveling from here to, to any other state, usually go by the interstate. And it's very, very busy, isn't it? And there's always road construction and everything else. And then the neon lights and the billboards and everything else that attract you to pull off here or or shopping areas over here, or eating places over here. But when you go some dark back road, you may not see all of that, and you probably won't, and it won't be as, as attractive, and, and the roads may not be as smooth as that. And Jesus says the narrow road seems less glamorous, less fun, uh, not, uh, less, and, and a lot less traveled than the Highways are the major road, the wide road. And then he, he leads us into the um, two destinations. It says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for that gate is wide, and the, way, uh, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And look at the word destruction. Place of destruction. The way is broad that leads to destruction. What is destruction? It is the destruction of human personality. Destruction of the image of God in which we are created. That's what sin does. There is the absence of, of love. There is the presence of selfishness and ugliness. It is a home of the devil and demons. It is destruction of all access to God. You're separated from God for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. It is a place of no repentance. There's no joy. Place of, of happiness but no true joy. Happiness in the sense of being satisfied temporarily through things and other uh, uh, things that are offered by this world. A place of real no, la or no lasting peace, excuse me. A place of no light. A place of no hope. A place of no fulfillment. If there's fulfillment, it's only temporarily. And it fulfills the flesh. A place of no life. A place of destruction. But then in verse 14 there, it's a place of life. He says, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. God may absence himself from hell, but he is everywhere present in heaven. In heaven we will see God's glory and majesty. There will be no sorrow, no pain, no death, no tears, no sin, no evil. 
The narrow way does not mean that it is legalistic, therefore even difficult for the most righteous to follow. I, I mentioned earlier it's not a means by which we have to work for salvation. We work because of salvation. What God has done. The only way leads to life is through Jesus Christ by faith. It's in his, by His grace. Religion and self-righteousness will lead to the majority or with the majority to destruction. But faith in Jesus Christ will lead to heaven. Then there's two entrances. If you'll look at it. The broad way has a wide gate. This gate is easy to open. It's a gate without limits. This gate, they don't check your luggage. And I want to tell you, it's not like the airport today that checks your luggage. They don't check it. They let anything go. I remember when Debbie and I had to fly just recently. And we, we flew and our sons, you know, uh, gave us these points and everything so that we could do it. Uh, I hated it. I knew that I was going to have to go through Atlanta and have the luggage checked. I hated it. And the lady, I tried to be nice, and she would say to everyone, and I said, well, ma'am, uh, does that mean I have to do this? What did I say? And I said, well, ma'am, does that mean I have to do this? And then she came over there, and she said, don't you understand? I said, Merry Christmas, ma'am. And I just walked off. I tell you what, I hate it. I hate it. The Broadway, if I could have found a Broadway with an airplane, I probably would have gone, you know, and no luggage checking. Check through. The narrow way has a small gate. In the Gospels, Jesus described it as small. It, it is the size of a eye of a needle I think he describes it as no baggage no room for sin what is this gate in John 10 9 Jesus said I am the door no man enters except by me what is the way Jesus said in John 14 6 I am the way so to come through this gate to enter through this door we must come face to face with the cross of Jesus Christ and repentance of our sins as we place our faith in Christ as our Savior. Let's us see ourselves move into a new lifestyle with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Jesus has talked about the two roads, and, but he also talks about, and we'll talk about this very quickly, the two prophets, two guides. In verses 15 through 23, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravious wolves. In this passage, in verse 15, we're to watch out for false prophets. Jesus is letting us know that there are false prophets in the church. You put a sign in the window of your house saying, Beware of dogs. And if all you have is a cat, then you're deceiving everyone and deceiving yourself. Jesus 
says, beware of false prophets. There are false prophets in here. They exist, and they exist today. Description in verse 15 says that they are deceptive. Two things that describe them. They are deceptive, and they are dangerous. They're like hungry wolves. They look like sheep, but they're like hungry wolves. Now, how do we detect them? In verse 15, not by their clothing, it says. The reason being, they come in sheep's clothing. Their beauty is only fleece deep. Now that shouldn't surprise us, but it does, unfortunately. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13, 14, Paul says, False prophets, deceitful workers, disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So we need to, need to remember something. For something to pass as a counterfeit, it has to be close to the original. A person would make a counterfeit dollar that looked like the true dollar bill. He wouldn't come up with some picture of a movie star or the, you know, President Trump and put the picture on the, uh, the bill. He wouldn't print it on yellow paper. It would be recognized as false immediately. They tried to make it as close as possible. I want to share with you, we, we had a young girl in our church over in Augusta. She went to a, a college in Rome, and, and as she went to a college in Rome, her ex-boyfriend followed her to that college in Rome. He tried to get back with her, you know, and date her and all this, but he... Uh, he was not a, a believer as far as I knew, but him and another guy got caught making counterfeit money while in college. Now, how did they make counterfeit money? They made it with a copying machine. Can you believe that? $20 bills with a copying machine. And what's so bad is one Store, the girl took it. So, we need to realize that counterfeits will be as close as they can to the original. Satan's going to make them that way. We many times can't detect them by their words. A false prophet, false counterfeit prophet, when they come along, will look and sound a lot like the real thing. And they'll want to. We had in church camp out in Oklahoma a young man that the teenagers got completely upset with the speaker who had been working in Utah with, uh, you know, winning people to the Lord and, and winning them to the Lord and bringing them out of Mormonism. And they had this kid that they liked a lot, and he was a, a you know, clean-cut kid and all of this. And what he said sounded good, and they swore that he was a Christian. Many times they cannot be detected by their words. And they can't be detected, second of all, by their works a lot of times. It says, they cast out demons in my name and perform many miracles in 
my name. Isn't that amazing how easily impressed people are with seemingly miraculous things? 2 Thessalonians 2.9 it says, When the Antichrist comes, he will come in accordance with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. What should frighten us is when good, sincere Christians, they see something going on. And they see something with all this blaze and outward attraction and they say something like, man, that place is really going for the Lord. A lot of things are happening. Even healings and miracles. And and God is doing a great work there. Well, we need to test it with the Word of God. If that's the case, then great, praise God. But when we base our evaluation of ministry primarily by the way we feel on appearance on a certain type of preaching or so-called ministry or, or miracle then we are in for trouble we need to base it all of that according to the word of God Jesus says you can't tell false prophets by their outward signs and criteria a lot of times What do we base our discernment on? When we detect them, we should detect them. Look in verse 20. By what? Their fruits. Here Jesus changes a metaphor from sheep and wolves to trees and fruit. He says you can tell a false prophet by the fruit they bear. That is their teaching and and its results. What about their teaching? For one thing, their teaching doesn't include, a lot of times, a narrow gate. It didn't include a wide gate. All of us are trying to go to the same place. It doesn't matter what religion it is. You'll hear that so often. 1 John 4, 1, the apostle says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. How do we do that? In 1 John 4, 3, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, some of them say, well, Jesus is a great teacher. Or Jesus is a son of God. Little letters there. Some people in cults will believe in the inerrancy of Scripture and other doctrines. But the one doctrine that false believers, cults, won't believe in is the person of Jesus Christ as God the Son, the Savior of the world. That He is God come in the flesh to bear our sins, our only substitute, not just dying, uh, paying the penalty for our sin on the cross, but also being raised by God from the dead, not only paying the penalty on the cross for our sins, but also forgiving our sins by us placing our faith in Him as the one and only Savior of the world. They have no narrow way in their teaching. Ezekiel 13, 10 through 19 says, It is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace. When there is no peace, and when anyone builds a wall, behold their plaster they plaster it over with whitewash so tell those who plaster it over with whitewash that it will fall 
a flooding rain will come, and you, O hailstones, will fall, and a violent wind will break out. God is talking about false prophets here in Ezekiel's time. He says, when the storm comes, the wall will collapse, and what will happen to the whitewash? In other words, the metaphor there is about making the walls look good and strong on the outside with paint, but they're only fooling the people because the inside is worn out. It's false. It's dead. It's no good. When I was in school in Dallas, I was given a job with a friend who painted. And we went into these nice homes. I mean, he had a good business going into the nice homes, doing the painting and all this. And this helped us get through school. And, and I remember one home, man, he, every wall that he stripped down, the, the house must have flooded at one time. Because there was mildew on every wall. And they didn't want it. All they wanted was just a paint job over it. And he said, well, ma'am, we're going to have to replace this. I mean, it's eating through. And so finally, they agreed. But boy, they were very upset over this because of the expense. But he said, hey, I don't know what happened. I didn't do it. He said, the pipes must have broken or something like that. But he said, I didn't do it. But if you want to live in this, I'm not going to paint it. I'm not going to do this. And so they agreed to it. A false prophet will allow people to do as they please. He'll not take a stand. Even sinful lifestyles are rationalized and accepted. Whatever you want to do, he'll whitewash it with excuses and rationalization. They don't have in their way a narrow way or a small gate. It's all-inclusive. They have no real Christ-like fruit. They're not concerned for others only themselves. In John 10, the apostle tells us that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. A false shepherd or a hireling, they run, they flee when the wolf comes. Why? Why does the wolf come? He knows to come and devour and to divide and scatter the flock. And so they leave it. Paul warns the Ephesian church before he warned them before he left that wolves and sheep clothing will try and come and devour the, the church. And it did later on. This, is, this was the most doctrinally sound, pure church in the New Testament time. Go to Revelation and see. But later on it happened. He gathers the leadership on the beach in Acts 20. And he says, after I leave, wolves will come among you. Savage wolves. They won't spare the flock. Then in verse 30, they will come even from your own number. Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. They will distort the truth in order to draw away disciples. So be on your guard. Real fruit bearing is bearing Christ-like fruit from the Spirit being within you. And you allowing the fruits of the Spirit to develop. Two roads, two guides, two builders, which we'll talk about later. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.